0: Did you measure views? Double kiss.
1: Good evening, Tucson Mountain Baptist Church. Very glad that each of you are here. Let's bow for a brief prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you again for this uh, wonderful time when we can meet together, worship you, learn more, and pray more. And Lord, we thank you for this church family that we have here and those that are watching online or listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Down at the cross. <clears throat> Down at the cross where my Savior died, Down where the friends for sin I cried, There to my heart was the blood applied, Glory to his name, Glory to his name, glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied, glory to his name. I am so wondrously saved from sin, Jesus so sweetly abides within, there at the cross where he took me in. Glory to His name, glory to His name, glory to His name. There to my heart was the blood applied, glory to His name. O precious fountain that saves from sin, I am so glad I have entered in. There Jesus saves me and keeps me clean, glory to his name, glory to his name, glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied, glory to his name fountain so rich and sweet. Cast thy poor soul at the Savior's feet. Plunge
0: into day and be made complete. Glory to
1: his name. Glory to his name. was the blood applied glory to his name at this time uh, uh, warren has a brief announcement
0: Uh, we will have a vbs this year it's going to be different in the fact that we're sharing it with grace point And uh, it's going to happen June 13th through the 17th, and my wife is coordinating with them. They call it a sports camp, but the lady, when she spoke to my wife, admitted that, in fact, it's a VBS. Um, They'll have soccer, basketball, baseball, and uh, they need uh, volunteers from this church so that our our children can go to their church and attend VBS. This way we can have one and actually have it come together. Um, If you have any questions or would like to volunteer, please see my wife. She'll be here Sunday. Um,
2: Thank you. How's everybody doing tonight? Okay. So we're mediocre. Got it. So I need you guys to go to the book of Galatians. And we're going to be looking at some particular passages. We're going to be bouncing around, but you guys need to stay in Galatians. So I want to ask you guys a loaded question. What does, we've talked about, we talked about spiritual gifts. We've talked about temperament, the four characteristics of the four basic temperaments. You guys have some knowledge of that. You've, you've taken a look, if you would, at those things. We talked about both the strengths and the weaknesses. What does a spirit-filled temperament-balanced Christian? look like? If you were going to describe that, how would you describe them? No matter matter what their temperament is, no matter what their spiritual gifts are, how would you describe a spirit-filled Christian that's balanced for today's world? A A reflection of Jesus. I like that. That's a good one. What else? Evidence of the fruits of the Spirit. That's exactly what we're looking at, the fruit of the Spirit. It is a single fruit with multi-components, nine specific components, actually. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. So we're going to be looking at those a little bit. Uh, Spirit-filled temperament does not have weaknesses. Now, I'm talking about a spirit-filled temperament, not one that is not spirit-filled. And that's why we're going to focus on this tonight. The books that we've ordered should be here at the end of this week. So next week will be set up a little differently so that we can do that uh, um, temperament profile so that everybody can understand. And then we'll put Probably two more times, we'll do the profile one time and then we'll put the spiritual gifts and the temperament part together, okay? But anyone filled with the Holy Spirit, whether they're a sanguine, choleric, melancholy, phlegmatic, doesn't matter. They're going to manifest these nine spiritual characteristics if they're filled with the Spirit. If they're not filled with the Spirit, there's going to be some issues. And we talked about some of those. So every spirit-filled Christian will have different manifestations based on their temperament. Every single one of you have some different spiritual gifts. So all those things that we looked at, they'll come in balance, and they work together. You'll still maintain that individuality, but you're not going to have the same type of weaknesses as you you would if you were not spirit-filled. So we need to keep that in mind as we look at this tonight because we're going to be, like I said, we're going to be looking at a lot of different things. We don't have to be dominated by those natural weaknesses from those temperaments. Okay? That's the one thing I want you to keep in the back of your mind as we talk about this tonight. So, if you have Galatians... Oops, wrong spot. Verse 5 talks about freedom and talks about living by the Spirit. So I'd like someone to read, if they would, verses 16 through 18 in chapter 6. Or chapter 5, I'm sorry. Chapter 5. Yes. Read loud. Okay, so what are some things we see out of those passages, maybe from a different translation? What are some things that you guys target out of verses 16 to 18 that stand out for you as, as living by the Spirit? Anybody? Don't everybody jump in at once. Okay, not under the obligation of the law. Moses? Warren?
0: Okay. All right. Who
2: else? Okay. So we have those fleshly desires, and then we have the Holy Spirit's desires. And the NIV that I'm looking at says they are in conflict, direct conflict with one another. So that's something we have to think about. So this natural man... There's always going to be a tension, if you would, between the natural man and the the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. So let's think about this. These characteristics, <clears throat> these nine characteristics: love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temper, temperance and self-control. Who's the best example of that? Jesus, right? He was he was the perfect supreme example of all that why was he that way not because he not just because he was god's son but why was he that way he stayed connected to the father, to the, father. the spirit lived in him and lived he lived because of the spirit all that ties together all these characteristics should be representative or should represent us as God's children. We should carry those same characteristics. What happens when we don't carry those same characteristics? Do you get moody? You miss the mark, yeah. We, we, we sin, we don't mean to all the time, but we do. God wants each of us to have these nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. So as we talk about this tonight, anyone can manifest these things in their life. If they do manifest those things in their life, they're going to be happy, they're going to be well-adjusted, they're going to be conformed and transformed to Christ, and they're going to be led by the Holy Spirit. Are there times in your life when you're not led by the Holy Spirit? Sure, yeah, because we just said, the natural man is in conflict with the Holy Spirit. So that's that's a struggle that we all deal with. But we can be a very fruitful human being. We talked about that a little bit. So let's look at this first characteristic, love. What's Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 say? What's the first commandment, the greatest commandment? That's the second one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. All of it. Your entire body. And Matthew 19, 19 is the second one that someone pointed out. It's love your neighbor as yourself. Is that always easy? No, it's not. Sometimes we don't even like the people we live with, you know? Here's the problem. As 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 a child of God, even as a child of God, we're human beings, and because of that, we were born selfish and greedy. Would you agree with that statement? Anybody disagree with that statement? Cuz if you do, you need to reread. <clears throat> Because of that selfishness and greediness that we are born with, it, that love causes some of us to really be more interested in things that we want rather than the kingdom of God. But as we allow the Holy Spirit to take charge of our life, he's able to make sure that we surrender those things that we want as compared to the things that God wants. It's an ongoing process. Do you guys think it ever ends? No, not not in this physical body, right? <laughs> That's the problem. <clears throat> Even though we might love our neighbors, and there's some individuals, because of their temperament, that have those natural tendencies, more natural tendencies, to have, to be more humanitarian-minded, to love people more than we might, depending on our temperament. But that doesn't mean they can't Develop these characteristics of the fruit of the spirit and utilize them to become even more spiritually minded. So as we think about that a little bit. The love described here is is not just meant for admiration or compassion. Turn over to Matthew 544 for me. Matthew 544. Who's got it? 544. Got it. got it, Larry? But I say to you, above your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spite you, and curse you. How easy is that to do? I mean, we're going to talk about that a little bit Sunday, but I mean, that's really... Something that's tough to do. Yeah. You're absolutely right. The your Is that kind of love natural for us? No. So it can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it in our own heart, mind, and soul. We have to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to have that. We said that the 12 apostles represented all four of the temperaments. You know, we talked about that a little bit. In John 13, 35, Jesus said this, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Do you think there's churches today that could avoid heartache and heartbreak if they would follow matthew five forty four do you think church conflicts could be done away with? Do you think if members were completely filled with the Holy Spirit and acted that way towards one another that there would be less issues if they would if they would just put forth the fruit of the spirit in galatians five twenty if they just follow that one verse, what kind of difference would that make in churches across America? Supernatural love is not limited by our temperament, because every single one of these characteristics can be put into us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, while a choleric, remember what a choleric is? He's a D-type personality. He's that A-type personality. He's hard-driving, hardcore. He always wants everything now. That person may have to go to the Holy Spirit and lean harder on the Holy Spirit in regard to this humanitarian and, and love issue of this part of the fruit, then maybe the sanguine, because remember the sanguine loves everybody. They they they're the life of the party. They'll talk to you if you stand still long enough. And they'll share what they have to share with you. They just want to love on you. They're more they're compassionate, they're tender hearted, all those things come into play. Okay? <clears throat> Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. So I want you to ask yourself, how obedient am I to his commandments as they're revealed to me in his word? How obedient am I to his commandments as they're revealed to me in his word? Have all of you hit the perfect mark yet? Nobody. listen, if we're, not, if we're not hitting those nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, then, then we're not completely filled with the Spirit. I know that sounds harsh, but I want you guys to think about that for a little bit. And we may come close, but it has to be an ongoing endeavor and an ongoing process. So let's think of the second one. And we talked this about this one last couple of weeks in service. Joy. The second characteristic of a spirit-filled person is joy. What does that look like? R.C.H. Linsky, the great theologian from the Lutheran Church, said this. Joy is one of the cardinal Christian virtues. It deserves the place next to love as it has. Pessimism is a grave fault. It's not a pointless, silly joy such as the world accepts today, and this, this was almost 100 years old. As the world accepts today, it is an enduring joy that bubbles up from all the grace of God in our possession, from the blessedness that is ours, that is undimmed by any tribulation. See, stuff is going to come into our life that we're not going to be able to control. And we talked a little bit about joy and the difference between joy and happiness a little bit last couple of weeks. The joy provided by the Holy Spirit is not limited or bound by our circumstances. And a lot of times that becomes a problem. A lot of people confuse happiness with joy. And even a lot of Christians do it. Happiness is something that just happens because of the arrangement of our circumstances. Like Pastor Jay said, happiness was a happening thing. But the joy of a spirit-filled life is characterized by looking not at the circumstances. You can have joy in spite of the circumstances. That can only be given to us by the Holy Spirit. Only. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When we have those things, those tribulations that we just talked about in life, we have to look to Jesus. A lot of times we look to the external circumstances and we think, oh me, woe is me. But we need to keep looking to Jesus. And as we look at Jesus, he says in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So there's a second question. How are we called according to his purpose? Are you fulfilling that purpose in your life today? How are you doing that? In Scripture, in Bible, we know that joy and rejoicing basically is repeated a lot of different times, and it has the same basic characteristics. It's it's the expected form of our Christian life. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Well, sometimes that's tough to do when the circumstances are eating your lunch, right? But he says, rejoice. That can only happen through the work of the Holy Spirit. It can't happen through our own strength. Psalms uh, 37.5 says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He's talking about the joy. In Psalm 4.7, he says, you, Lord. I put gladness in my heart more than in a season that their grain and wine have increased. And and he's using the agricultural uh, components there. He said, even if the grain increases and even if the grapes and wine increase and we have an abundance of blessings there, he said, even when that happens, I still have more joy in my heart when those things are happening or not. He just tells us over and over again. Philippians 4, four, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He tells us over and over again. Where was Paul writing that from? Where did he write Philippians from? Prison. He was in a dark dungeon deep in a hole somewhere. But yet he was able to say rejoice. I don't know about you guys, but if I was down there, I don't know if that would come out of my mouth. <clears throat> How could he say that? Because he knew without a shadow of a doubt, he learned to experience joy in that spirit-filled life. He learned to be content in whatever state he was in, with much or with little. That's a tall statement. In Philippians 4.11, he said, I have learned that whatever state I am in, I can be content or I will be content. how do you think that Philippian jailer, you know, I've often thought about this, that Philippian jailer is coming along and Paul and Silas are in prison and I can hear all the other prisoners whining and crying that Paul and Silas are making too much noise. Because they're singing and they're praising God and they're singing hymns. You ever think about what that poor jailer must have thought? I've often wondered that. I bet you he was impressed though. I'll bet you he was wondering, I don't know what these guys got, but they sure are happy to be in this place. <clears throat> that's the joy of the Holy Spirit. And that's only something we can get from the Holy Spirit. How many Christians today you think lack that kind of joy? Too many. Yeah, too many. Warren? I have a
0: wonderful story about a Russian <clears throat> Been there 17 years, and every day he went at the beginning of each day at his gate, lifted his hands, and it sung out loud a phrase song. Well, he finally gets out after 17 years, his family working this whole time to get him out of prison. He's finally come to his release stand, and he's leaving. And the whole jail lights up, lifts
2: their hands in the air and sings a praise. Sings to a God. praise. Uh, up. Yeah. Because for seventeen years they saw him do that. And they heard it. They knew it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, That's that supernatural, supernatural, supernatural joy is available to the spirit filled Christian. But it's only available to the spirit filled Christian after they accept Christ as their Savior. And that's something that I think sometimes we really struggle with trying to get the world to understand. And it's not maybe that we don't try, but they don't get it. They look at us as, as something foreign. Jesus said in John 15, 11, and we covered this just last week. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full or complete. He also stated in John 10.10 that we covered several weeks back. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. He comes to give us the good things in life to help us understand that those things are available to us, and they're available to those who accept him as Savior and Lord. But it's an ongoing struggle. That abundant life can only reveal itself with the joy that he gives us after someone accepts Christ. Martin Luther said this, God does not like doubt or dejection. He hates dreary doctrine, gloomy and melancholy thoughts. God likes cheerful hearts. He did not send his son to fill us with such sadness, but to gladden our hearts. Christ says, rejoice, for your names are written in heaven. The third trait is peace think about that peace you always hear about this 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 funny little thing you know what do you pray for world peace p a a s but that's not that's not really what we're looking for right when are we going to have world peace right after Jesus comes right and we're not going to be here praise god we're going to be with him the Bible should always be interpreted by the text that it's written within, right? So let's think about this a little bit. Let's examine the context of the fruit of the Spirit. Let's go back to Galatians. And you guys read with me. I'm reading from the NIV. And here's here's the real issue. The verses that precede 522 tell us the things that the world is made of right now, and we see it, and we're seeing it more and more. Look at 19 through 22. The acts of sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's reminding them over and over again of this kind of stuff. Paul's bringing it back to the forefront. Paul describes not only the works of man, but in 22, he tells us the works of the Spirit. And he says that the works of the Spirit can squash those things and squelch those things. But we have to allow the Spirit to come completely in. The further we go away from God... The more those things in 19 and 20 come out. It's just a known fact. This peace that he's talking about here, I want I want you guys to understand this. I know some of you already do, but it's it's actually a twofold peace. He's talking about a twofold peace. He's talking about peace with God. He says in John fourteen, twenty seven, peace with God, Lord, I have leave with you. My peace I give to you. The peace that he leaves with us is peace with God. Now, what does that mean specifically? Think about this. Human beings outside of knowing Jesus as their Savior, they don't have the peace with God. Why? Because their sin is always before them. Their sin is always there. They, they, they somehow intuitively know that they are a sinner. They don't want to admit they're a sinner. But their sin is always before them. And because of that sin being there, and they've not accepted God's forgiveness, they can't have peace with God because there's a tension. There's a battle going on within them because they know somehow, some way, someday, there's, they're going to have to give an account for that sinfulness. And then the second peace is the peace of God. The peace of God is something else. He talks about it when an individual accepts christ as savior we know two things take place he invites jesus into his heart and jesus saves him and forgives him of that sin but also he immediately cleanses them of that sin so he can have that ongoing peace with god but the peace of god's a little different the peace of God, Romans 5, 1, says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But the Spirit-filled Christian's second peace, that peace of God, comes basically from John fourteen twenty seven. Jesus said, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In some of those preceding verses, he talks about the counselor coming, the Holy Spirit coming, the comforter coming. He's coming to give us comfort. So the Holy Spirit brings us the peace of God because he calms our heart. He calms all the worries and fears and and trepidation we have about life in general. And he makes it to the point where we can have the peace of God. So that peace that he's talking about here in these verses... Part of, the, part of the gift of the fruit of the Spirit is two parts of peace, two kinds of peace, peace with God and the peace of God, okay? The peace of God is, is peace that you can have serenity and calmness in the most troubling times, and that's not always easy. The best illustration, let's think about this. The best illustration, again, is Jesus, He's laying in the bottom of the boat. The storm is coming up. Twelve disciples are freaking out. say, "Hey, we're gonna die! Aren't you concerned about us? Jesus is laying in the bottom of the boat, sleeping. I think it's like that in the modern day church today. I think something happens. There's twelve individuals in the church that are freaking out they're 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 struggling, and there's maybe one individual that's went home, took a good night's rest, and he's more apt to come in the next day and be able to take care of all the issues and not worry about it because he's rested with peace and assurance. What's the difference? What, what happened? What was with the 12 in the boat? Lack of faith. They had fear. They were afraid. The real bottom line is They didn't believe. That's the hard part. That's the hard part for us to think about. The one that believes in God will be the one that says, it's all going to be fine. Don't worry about it. It's okay. When all hell is raging loose around us and everything's coming undone at the seams and you can say, you know what? God's in control. I either believe it or I don't believe it. And when you start to lose grip, then you're starting to lose your belief. I know that's hard, but I want you to think about that. Does becoming a Christian spare us from circumstances? Does it spare us from trouble and tribulation and trial? No. Listen. Real consistent peace can only be found around God. It can only be found there. Paul described this peace in this way. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Listen, an untroubled, unworried individual facing severe circumstances, even, even the most extreme circumstances, that has a life of the peace of God and with God, is not going to be worried. They're not going to be having a problem. Those first three characteristics, love, joy, and peace, they all come into play and, and they counteract those temperament weaknesses that we might struggle with. But the rest of them also come into play. Maybe not as much as these first three, because these first three sort of make up the balance of the rest. We need those first three tied together. So let's think about this. The fourth one is long-suffering. What is long-suffering? What does it entail? Say it again. Patience. Patience. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Perseverance. Okay. You know, it, it, it entails us being able to have the ability to bear injury or affliction without losing what God has given us. We are able to persevere. We're able to suffer along through it. It's the type of person that can come along... And, and do the most menial task, the most laborious task, and not complain or whine or say anything bad about it. They just do it. Look at what 1 Peter 2.3 says. When he was reviled, now Peter's talking about Jesus. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. That's long-suffering. Jesus. Tolerated all that. Listen, the person person that finishes the task, a menial task, a hard laborous task, and and can outwardly manifest that love to other people while doing that, they have the gift of long-suffering, part of that gift. The greatest ability in long-suffering is dependability. Think about that the greatest gift, the greatest part of that gift is the ability of dependability. The fifth characteristic is gentleness. Gentleness. The King James calls it gentleness, but a lot of the modern day translations will also call it goodness or kindness. But that makes it real close to the sixth characteristic. So I want to focus on gentleness. Gentleness is a tender-heartedness. It's it's more than just being polite. It's being gracious, it's being considerate. Does the world have a lot of tender-heartedness today? What do you think? Yes, no, maybe so? No. Huh? The cause. Okay. 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 Yeah, I understand.
0: You know.
2: We live in a pressurized life. Would you guys agree with that statement? The busyness, the hustle, the bustle of life that we live today, is is that something that can even make the finest Christian sometimes not the most polite Christian? What did Jesus say when the crowd tried to bring the little children to him and the disciples tried to push them away. It's in Mark ten, thirteen and fourteen. He says this Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For such is the kingdom of God. Here's here's the whole issue. There's a lot of time in our lives that The little people, any people, set us on edge. Because of whatever's going on in their life, they may be trying to make it part of our life. And we don't want that. They're rocking our boat. The gentle characteristic of the Spirit doesn't think about, you know, how often do I have to put up with these people? How often should I forgive my brother who sinned against me 117 times? But who's counting, right? Isn't there a limit of how much I have to tolerate this person? See, gentleness doesn't say that. Gentleness combines with long-suffering, and you just keep going. Jesus possessed the Holy Spirit without measure. Now, I understand we can't always possess it, you know, have it without measure, even though he offers it to us because we're so much human. But Jesus looked at us as the flock that needed tender, loving care. And we need to be considerate and give that same kind of tender, loving care to one another. So the sixth characteristic is goodness. Goodness can be described more as um, a generousness of self and your possessions. It's benevolence in its purest form. If you're benevolent, then, then you have that part of that gift of goodness. The filling of the Spirit. Paul told Titus, that young preacher, when he said in Titus 3.8, those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain their good works. Listen, we said earlier we're selfish by nature. That's, That's a given. We need to be constantly reminded by the Word of God what God wants us to do so that we can put it into practice the more we put it into practice, the less we have to be reminded by the Word of God. The more the Holy Spirit indwells us and gives us these nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, the more we're going to apply those to our life. But we have to put them into practice. Um, All four of those natural temperaments, those four temperaments we've talked about earlier, they're prone to selfishness and being inconsiderate. And that often ties it up. When you are, have that part of the spiritual fruit, you release a lot of your depression, your anxiety, your worry, because you're not so much focused on self as you are, you're focused on someone else. And that alleviates a lot of pressure. But you have to stay focused on that. Jesus said "Is more blessed to give than to receive in Acts 2035. You know, we have to watch out for over indulgent patterns in our life. Overly self-indulgent patterns can trip us up. And we often don't see them till it's too late. So you have to be very, very careful. Many Christians typically will cheat themselves out of a blessing because they're not watching what the Holy Spirit is working in their life through the fruit of the Spirit. It's not always easy. D.L. Moody once said, when he was asking to be led by the Spirit, to act upon the impulses that come to my mind, they provided they do not violate any known truth or scripture, is a good rule to follow. It pays rich dividends and mental health of the life of every giver. So he's talking about being generous with not only yourself, your time, but with your possessions. It's one thing to have those good impulses, but it's a completely different thing to act on those impulses. The seventh trait is, is faith. We talked about this. What, does, what is faith? Let's talk about this one for a second. What is real faith in God? Belief? Say it again. Okay, belief. Obeying. You're doing something. Okay. Faith. Faith is the perfect antidote for fear. Jasper told us a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night, Technically, you can't have faith and fear in the same place because if you, are, if you are of faith, you are not a victim. You are a victor because God gave us victory in our life. He's already given it to us. Sometimes we have to get on board and understand that it's there. It's, it's, it's already there. We don't have to fight for it. We don't have to do anything for it except accept it it's a lot like salvation faith in galatians 5:22 is talked about here is an antidote for that fear it's an antidote for worry it's an antidote for anxiety it's an antidote for those things all you have to do is pick it up he tells us that a person who is truly spirit filled is inspired by the spirit And God will help them be faithful. It's a key, and I think it's a very important key, to living the Christian life. Having faith that no matter what's going on around us, just like the circumstances we talked about a minute ago, God is in control. Do you believe God's going to supply all your needs? Really? Yeah? What would happen if you lost everything tomorrow? What would happen if you were a modern-day Job? And all you had was your spouse that said, oh, why don't you just curse God and die? What would happen if you lost your kids? You lost your house? You lost your car? I mean, you ever play these scenarios over your head? I do. What would you do? How would, how you know, I know, I know we always say, well, you don't know how you're going to respond until you've been there. But do you play some of those scenarios in your head and wonder, Lord, how would I really act? How would I respond? Tamlin? And calls us like, Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's
2: right. you, you. You make
0: Yeah.
2: Sometimes it's difficult to do. We have to remember that if God will supply all our need, our faith is what brings us through that. You know, faith will nurture peace and joy and long-suffering, all those other things we've been talking about. Faith will help us with that. Faith also removes doubt and fear and striving for that stuff that Tamala was just talking about. Think about this. Many of God's people, just like the nation of Israel, I think wander around in their life 40 years in the desert because they lack the faith to believe God. It's it's not always hard. I think a lot of Christians also wander around sometime in the desert because think about the 12 spies that went out. Two of them came back. And they saw a land of plenty. The other 10 come back and they said, oh, the giants, they see it. You know, they had grasshopper vision. Those 10 spies had grasshopper vision. They said, but they, they see us and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. Do you really think they got close enough to those giants to ask them? No, they didn't. Unbelief always causes fear. It always limits God's use of your life. He tells us that over and over again. The Bible teaches us that there's two specific sources of our faith. The very first one is the Word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The second one is the Holy Spirit. He's made it clear in Galatians 5:22 for us. He said it right there. If your temperament is conducive to doubts and decision and fear then you need a more infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's just, That's just the way it is. God gives victory in Jesus because he says this in Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The eighth temperament, or eighth trait, rather, of the Holy Spirit is meekness. Listen, if a person is naturally proud and arrogant, it's harder for them to have meekness. If they're egotistical, it's harder for them to have meekness. Um, The Holy Spirit fills the heart, and it will help them become humble as they submit to the Holy Spirit's work. They can become very mild and submissive, but the Spirit's got to work on them. Got to work on them. Jesus, again, is that excellent example of meekness. The creator of all of us, the creator of all of humankind, mankind, the world, humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. So that's the greatest example we have. Matthew eleven twenty nine. he said of himself, I am meek and lowly in heart. In Matthew 26:53, he says, Do you think I cannot now pray to my Father, and He will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? Listen, such meekness is not natural, it's supernatural. The only way we can obtain these, these components of the Holy Spirit's fruit is to make sure that we submit to God. We submit to Jesus. It's only through that supernatural indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we can do that. He assures us that when we do that, those natural tendencies are going to go by the wayside and those supernatural tendencies are going to take over. And the last one, of course, is self-control. Self-control. I don't know about you guys, but my natural inclination is to take the path of least resistance in life. And I think most people are that way. If you haven't given in to that temptation at some point in your life, you're, you're, you're an outstanding individual. But in most cases, I think a lot of people will take the path of least resistance because it's not as hard. Self-control will solve a Christian's problems with those emotional outbursts, those acts of rage and anger and fit and self-control. You can be more dependable, and that's what we want to be as Christians. I see all four of the temperament characteristics in those apostles, like we said earlier, but it's important that we understand that those temperament characteristics and the Holy Spirit's gifts that he gives us are are fit together somehow. And as we look at those, hopefully next week, if the books get here, we need to remember that no Christian can be a mature, complete Christian without exercising those gifts and without learning to control those temperaments, those weaknesses in our temperament. So we take on... These, these nine characteristics of the Holy Spirit has for us, and we apply those to those weaknesses, they're going to come out as strengths. He tells us that over and over again. Okay? So think about this. Sanguines are generally, and if you turn out to be a sanguine, I'm not nudging you, I'm just telling you. Sanguines are generally too restless and weak-willed to do a prayer time. Getting up a few minutes earlier to have a regular Bible reading and prayer time is usually too rough on them. Why? because they want to get up and get going. they're the life of the party, so that's part of the temperament that they have. The cholerics because they're strong willed and so consistent they're consistent and they can they can make they can will themselves to do just about anything, but the problem is they don't see the Reason for putting it into practice. Their nature of self-confidence, even after they're converted, says that you know uh, there's more important things I can do. I need to be planning my day. I need to be putting my calendar together. Whatever. It's not practical enough for them. John fifteen five says, "Without me, you can do nothing." They haven't learned that one well enough yet. Melancholies. their temperament is probably the one that will have the most success of maintaining a regular devotional life. Because it's important that we understand that all four of these temperaments that we talk about, all those things come into play. And you're, you're usually two. You're usually not one. You're usually a blend of two. So when we look at these, you're going to have to think about that. That regular devotional time from melancholy is something they'll set aside, they'll do it. But because of their analytical mindset, they will go off on some abstract theological hair-splitting truth trying to figure out an answer for a question because they're chasing a rabbit somewhere else, okay? And for the phlegmatics, they're prone to recommend that Quiet time, they're prone to do that quiet time, but they're slow and often very um, resistant to have the inclination to maintain it. They'll get it started because they really want to know about God's Word, but it's hard for them to maintain it. So as we talk about all these things, we're going to look at all these components again. Prayerfully next week, because the books hopefully will be here at the end of this week. All right. I know I said that last week, but they got stuck in shipping somewhere. They're in Goodyear. I know they're in Goodyear because I looked it up today. Because I came from Atlanta, Georgia. But they're in Goodyear. <laughs> yeah, I may have to at the rate they're moving. <laughs> any questions, any thoughts before we close? Like I said, maybe next week and one more week and then we'll be out of this study and we'll go we'll move on to something else. Okay? All right. Uh any prayer request tonight? Go ahead, Dennis.